Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. In today's episode of Project Recovery... When I was an addict, I was limited in my thinking because the number one priority for me was... Where was I going to get the next drink? When can I drink next? What can I get? Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was, I, you could set a clock right. by it, you know, and it was like first thing in the morning, I was like, I got to do this, but when can I have that first drink? And then towards the end, it was, I'd wake up in the morning to get that first drink. And, and that was the reason I woke up. Make sure you listen to the end. Find us on Facebook at Project Recovery. We'll have that and much more coming up. Hey, welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by our friends at knowyourscript.org. Go check them out. Uh, they've got their finger on the pulse of all things when it's considered uh, the opioid epidemic. Uh, great information for you to protect yourself, your loved ones, and uh, just find out more about what's going on in that world. I am Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. It seems like I haven't seen you for a while. That's right, because you've been out gallivanting around, vacationing with the ladies yeah yeah so here's the deal so uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later but i'll give you just a little tease is what we call it in the industry (laughs) okay i drove a 1994 ford cobra van from ogden utah those are the classy ones right? yeah no it was good i had kind of elevated top yeah eight track in the back uh from ogden utah to puerto penasco mexico which is uh 16 hours uh we, we, we i'm surprised it's not longer than that well, we took some breaks, yeah, and uh, we're going to find out all about that. Okay, but while I'm driving, um, I, I that's when I like to do my thinking. Yeah, and and so and I was driving there, and, and I think in the world of recovery, there's two kinds of people. Um, there's people who can tell you what's wrong with it, and there's people who can tell you what's right with it. Okay. And, 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 and I like to be the kind of person that can tell you what's right with it because I like, I think it's the optimist in me. Yeah. I, I was going to say that sounds like an optimism versus pessimism sort of attitude. And, but the thing is, the reality is, is that both are very valid and both are very necessary, mm. but you can get mired in either one and lose yourself if that makes sense. Well, what do you mean by what's wrong with it? What's wrong with recovery? Yeah, or, or 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 world or problems or whatever. Okay. Uh, because it, if you get too negative, negative gets negative, and it just gets even more negative. And before right. you know it, you're just in a down, dark place. But you can't live in an optimist world all the time either, because it's not realistic. It's just it, it's you can't do it because bad things happen to good people, and it happens all the time. And 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 it's a lot of times in recovery, I've met so many people who 
put all their focus and all their energy on just being recovered that they're missing out on so much life. You mean like hyper-focusing on staying away from drugs and alcohol, but then they don't connect with other people, make meaningful relationships, you mean? that? Yeah, because they put all their eggs in this. Because Somehow if I'm in recovery, that in and of itself will make my life perfect. Yeah, we'll make it better because that's what they've been told. Because for however long they've been in their active addiction, they've been told that the drugs and alcohol are the reason their life sucks. Right. The reason everything is going bad. This is why it's because you're on drugs and alcohol. And we forget that the reason a lot of these people are on drugs and alcohol is because their life sucked in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that's, I mean, that's unfortunately true. Yeah. It, but it is true. And so yeah. they're sold this bill of goods that if you get sober, life's going to be better. Yeah, it's sort of a, a simplified solution to life, right? And, 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 and I think a lot of times we get so fixated on the recovery part that we forget that there's life that goes along with it. And that's why this podcast is so valuable to so many people that we've heard that not only do you have to get sober, you have to learn to live. You have to learn to exist, to be with yourself and go back and peel those layers and figure out why you were running and hiding from before. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm to this point now where we're coming up on three years and I love recovery. I live recovery. I breathe recovery and I'm thankful for recovery because it has given me so much. But I'm also to a point in my career and, 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 and what I'm doing is that I'm trying to find that happy balance. If that makes sense. Balance between recovery and what? I mean, living life. I mean, that's a little general. What do you mean by that? So, and, and, and I don't really know how to explain it because I feel like recovery is going great for me. And this is maybe why it gets scary for me. You know what I mean? Because I just got from, back from Mexico and you walk by any door. Somebody's giving you free tequila and do that. Never tempted once. It, it, it never even crossed my mind, you know, because that's just not who I am anymore. It really didn't, though. It, it really didn't. A, a, an ice cold margarita around the restaurant, that kind of stuff. I, I know it sounds tempting, but to me, that's not what it was because I was so in the moment of being there with my daughter, who I'd been there three years prior for for a miserable trip. My kids still talk about it as the trip from hell. <laughs> this was the time dad was drunk. He was no fun. He yeah. bought a school supplies from Mexico and none of it worked. I mean, it was, I'm not kidding. It was, it was not kidding. Oh my gosh. But that the, is the best thing I've heard all day. It's the truth. <laughs> it was, it was a miserable experience. Luckily now my uh, kids can laugh about it. Yeah. So that's why this trip was so important with my old daughter because we went down there we sat on the beach we talked she's becoming this young woman and we had in-depth conversations and she looks like she's 21 i know and i was like stop it but but you were able to connect with her so maybe what you're saying is and and i guess um anything can be a distraction in life if it takes you out of the other parts of life that are also important, right? Yeah. And so we, we, we obviously know that with drugs and alcohol, of course. But think of workaholics, right? Yes. Um, I know quite a few people who I feel like, man, their level of success at work is mind-boggling. But I wouldn't want to be them 
because that's all their one trick pony. That's their life. And they're missing out on their kids growing up and they're missing out on, you know, they have lots of money, but they don't go on vacation. Like, they you know, af- yeah, they can afford to because they're so they're so wrapped up in work. Yeah. So is work a bad thing? No, work's a good thing. But anytime we get out of balance and get over focused on something, even if it is a positive on its own, that can create ripple effects that are negative in life. That's why I used to say this when I was drinking all the time, and I thought it was a clever way to when I got too drunk. And I'd say all things in moderation, including moderation, (laughs) you know, because sometimes I would get too drunk. And, you know, that was my excuse that, you know, sometimes I just I, I went off the deep end. Sorry about that. Yeah. But I do believe all things in moderation. And it, it, it's, 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 you've got to find that balance. I remember a year and a half ago when we were doing this podcast, you came up with, and I believe it was three pillars for like a, a, a foundation, you know, that you, you've got to have, you've got to build on these three good pillars. And I think one of them was, you know, mental, physical, and then I, I, I'm not even doing I'm sure it. Sure. It was brilliant though but it was i mean yeah. so much that I'm, I'm i'm skipping it now but i think you got to have in your life i think these- we were talking about mental physical and spiritual yes right and that's you know those are if a person were to just say well you know instead of spending tons of time you know seeking other why don't i just pause and ask myself what's my mental state like how do i feel mentally you know and that might Include your emotions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, physically, am I healthy? How am I feeling? Am I eating well? Am I exercising? And then spiritual. What is um, and spiritual does is not the same as religious necessarily. They can go together. But just what's my spiritual life? Am I connected with anything bigger than me? You know, uh, a lot of people here in Utah find their spirituality in nature. I had this conversation with my young son Bowden, who's ten, just yesterday. Mm-hmm. He goes, Dad, you're not Mormon, are you? And I go, No, son, I'm I'm not. And uh, he goes, But are you religious? And I go, ah, I'm not really religious, son. I'm I'm spiritual. And he goes, What does that mean? And I go, I believe in something. I'm not sure what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But I believe everybody should be respected. Everybody's opinion should be listened to. And if you leave this place better than you got it, whatever's on the other side, son, I think you're going to be okay. And my son goes, You know, Dad. I might be spiritual too. <laughs> His eyes lit up when he was like, "I don't have to go to church on Sunday." And I was like, "And I was like, wait, wait, wait." I said, "I said, but I, I want you to try it all, son." And I said, "That's the great thing about life is that you get to try it all. See what makes sense to you. See what works for you. And to bring that back into recovery, you've got to see what makes sense and works for you. And it's people get so fixated on certain things and they forget that there's so much out there. Well, we. We've met people, and and I'm going to tread lightly on this because I don't want to offend anybody in recovery uh, who's listening to the podcast. But we've 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 worked with, we've talked with, met p- with people who have kind of shifted from you know it's better that they're not you know drugging and drinking anymore, so mm-hmm. their life is better in that way, they're healthier. But they've sort of shifted to where whatever their recovery model is has become the new obsession. Those are the only people they hang out with. Those are the only activities they do. That's what they think about all the time. And I think if that's sort of part of your transition to a real life of recovery, that's okay. But I think you and I know the people I'm talking about, they, they've they sort of alienated other people in their life now, and they're not really living the, the well-balanced life that, that potentially they could have. 
Is that better than being uh, an addict? Yes, of course. But I think what you're talking about is sort of like, and I'm going to use the term beyond recovery. That doesn't mean we leave recovery. We take it with us. But what else is there beyond recovery in our lives? And I think that's where I'm at right now is I'm trying to figure out what's beyond recovery. I am so grateful for my recovery. I am so grateful for where I'm at in life right now, but I'm trying to figure out what is beyond recovery. Now, I know because of this podcast, what I've done, if I put anything above recovery, that is what I'm going to lose if yeah. I do relapse. And you I know agree what I mean? with so, that. So I don't want to downplay the recovery part, I, and I'm not. I'm so grateful for it. I just don't know what's beyond. And, 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 and to be honest with you, that kind of scares me because I don't want to get laxed. I don't want to feel like I've got this because I don't. But I'm now at the pinnacle of uh, my recovery where I'm trying to figure out. Well, I think when people take their recovery for granted, that's where they, they, they have the big relapses or the big missteps, if you want to call it that. I don't think you're taking it for granted. I think what you're saying is, Maybe in a way, recovery doesn't define every aspect of my life, even though I have to put recovery above everything else because you lose everything if you don't. And I agree with that. But I hear what you're saying. You're kind of exploring this idea of like, and and it's scary, but I would say also maybe exciting. Oh, it's way exciting. Because it's like, what else is out there for me? Knowing that alcohol, to some degree, limited you your whole life, but you didn't know it at the time. I got back from nine days in Mexico. And you know what I did the day I got back? What's that? I mowed my lawn and pulled weeds. Yeah? And I was okay with it. Three years ago, I would have been in bed for four days trying to recover. Trying to recover. I'd have woke up next to my liver smoking a cigarette going, hey, are we going to do this again? And I'm like, yeah. I don't think so, man. You know, but that, I mean, I came back and, and, I, and I was refreshed and I went to the gym and, and I wasn't de- replaying everything that I said. You're in healthy. The vacation. And healthy. Physically, mentally, and spiritually. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, you know, and I, maybe this segment didn't make much sense, but it was just stuff that I thought about on the drive down there. You know, just sitting in my own head, going, "Where do we go next, Casey? What can we do?" Because to be honest, three years ago, I never thought I would be here. You know, I didn't know that was possible, and I'm here because of recovery. Because it, the world did give me a second chance. The world gave me a third chance, and I don't want to blow it. And so I'm just trying to figure out what's going to be best for me, my family, and. Well, I th- yeah, and I just just I know we're wrapping this part of the thing up, but the reality is, uh, you have different types of thought, right? Expansive thought and limiting thought. When you're an addict, your life is full of limiting thoughts. You're not you're not believing in yourself that you can do everything. Uh, if you try, you often fail because you're an addict and you're in that process. Uh, I think what you're ex- playing around with is expansive thought. It's like, okay, wow. You know, I've made it coming up on three years, uh, doing pretty well with that. Recovery has helped me do all these things that I'm doing. But what else is there? Like, what's beyond? So it's a very, again, optimistic way of thinking. And I think you hit it right on the head right there with when I was an addict, I was limited in my thinking because the number one priority for me was where was I going to get the next drink? When can I drink next? What can I get? Yeah, and it was. I mean, it was, I, you could set a clock right. by it, you know, and it was like first thing in the morning, I was like, I got to do this, but when can I have that first drink? And then towards the end, it was, I'd wake up in the morning to get that first drink. And, now, and that was the reason I woke up. Right. And so. How now, can I hide it from everybody? And yeah. You know, you, and, and, yeah. and so now I go, wow, man, I got 24 hours in a day. 
Yeah. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And I can because I know I can because I can do hard things. And I've done that. So far, I've survived 100% of all my bad days. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. You, you know, I yeah. mean, I'm still here. Right. And so never once have they have they won. Right. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I keep getting up. So Again, the optimist in you. Yeah, so let's see what we can do. And I'm glad you're here today to listen to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Coming up, me, seven women crossing the border to Mexico, a lot of estrogen. We even talked about periods. It wasn't fun, but... And how alcohol is is played out differently in Mexico than here, right? Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. You listen to Project Recovery right here on KSL. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Dr. Matt Woolley. Uh, we're going to talk about my trip to Mexico and uh, why I did it and kind of my new thoughts on Mexico because this is the first time I've ever been to Mexico sober. So you remember what it looks like now? And everything. I remember what it looks like. I know how to get around. Uh, I bartered better. Uh, I will say, honestly, when when you dropped the bomb on us that you were leaving and going to Mexico for a week and that you'd only had a year to prepare that trip and forgot to tell us but anyway when you told us that uh-huh. i was i was envious you know i was like oh man that you know week in mexico being on the beach and then i found out you drove down there with uh with a van uh, an old van uh with with a bunch of teenage girls and your girlfriend and i thought well maybe, maybe he can he can have that vacation so this is how it goes so uh my mom and, and it's my mom's house. It's not mine. She's got a place down in Mexico. It's called Puerto Penasco. And that's just right over the border, right? Four so hours down from Phoenix. It's a pretty popular place yeah, for It's a destination where all yeah. Phoenix goes down. A lot of yeah. people from San Diego goes over there. Uh, a lot of blue hairs. There's a retirement community. A uh, yeah. very clean uh, community. And so yep. she goes down there. And so uh, we've got this house. And uh, Leslie, my girlfriend, her daughter, Addie, just graduated high school. So this is sort of her senior trip. This kind is of thing, her graduation right? trip. Okay. And so she wanted to go down there. And she was bringing three of her friends. And so Leslie, my girlfriend, said, hey, you should invite Presley and one of her friends, you know, so they could have this bonding trip. And it might be fun. And I was like, OK. So I asked Presley. She says, you know, Dad, last time I went to Mexico with you, it wasn't that fun. I said, this time will be different. And she was I believe did you. she bring that up? Yeah, they she brought did. that up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my I, we talked about it in the first segment, but my kids talk about that trip, and it was a scarring trip for them. Yeah. I mean, I was arguing with my mother. Uh, my kids weren't happy. I was in the midst of the divorce. I was drinking way too much, right. and it was it was a perfect storm. Um, for, but I like the fact that your kids are have the relationship with you now that they could bring that up mm-hmm. because 
a lot of kids will have an anxiety, right? They'll have a worry, and they'll keep it to themselves. Well, Frankie had that. She called me. She goes, Dad, how you doing? And I go, I'm doing good. She goes, I had a dream last night you drank. Really? Okay. Yeah. So she's, I mean, so she's at home. Yeah. And you're down there. Yeah. And, and she's feeling that anxiety and even has a dream about yeah, it. Yeah. So she wanted wow. to hear my voice and say, yeah. Dad, and, and, yeah. and, and I'm not a great liar. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she, she knows if she asks the question, she'll know by the pause or the, the cadence or the yeah. inflection of my voice if I've lied. I mean, I'm a horrible liar. Well, our kids, they can read us pretty well. Yeah, I'm a horrible right? liar. Yeah. And I go, no, honey, I'm good. And she goes, yeah. oh, I figured so, Dad, but I just wanted to ask. And oh, I said, man. So that's that's powerful because that's just that just goes to show you, like, we as adults often forget our childhood. We forget what it's like. And those kids, they're tuned in. To things that we don't realize. So that's, but I, back to Presley, I'm impressed that she would be able to sort of feel that out and talk to you about it. And that says good things about, about your relationship with her. And, and, and it was a wonderful time. And because of the letter and everything that, you know, my recovery's brought, I thought this would be a good time for me to bond with her. And I was super excited about it. And so the plan was me, Presley, her friend, and Leslie, we were going to drive from Ogden to Vegas, mm-hmm. from Vegas to Phoenix. And then in Phoenix, we were going to pick up Leslie's daughter and her three friends. Okay. And so that, so that was the plan. So we, we, we get up early in the morning. Hence the van. The van. The van. <laughs> well, because normally we'd all just fly into uh, Phoenix and, and then, then rent a car. But you can't rent cars. You can't rent then. cars. Yeah. You know, yep. and so this was the only way to make it happen. So I was like, okay, Love it. we'll do it. Let's do this. Yep. And so we get in the car. Presley and Cameron are sleeping in the back. Me and Leslie are driving. And as I'm driving down, all of a sudden I see this car going in and out, in and out of these lanes. Mm. And I go, Leslie, do you see that? And she goes, yeah. And I go, I wonder if he's tired. And she goes, no, I think he's drunk. Yeah. And this was seven in the morning. And so we so, so, I, so I stayed back a little bit and I followed him for a minute. Are you in Vegas by now? No, we're no? still in Utah. Okay, we're still in Utah, and this car's going in and out of the HOV lane, coming close to the wall, coming back. And oh, I'm thinking, man. I wonder if he's just really tired. So we follow him and we're, we stay back a bit. And, I, and it, at this point, it's evident that this guy or girl, because we never got close enough. So I'm in a 99, a 90, 94 van. Yeah. So we're not <laughs> speed demons. Oh, I thought you mean you didn't want to scratch it. No, no. <laughs> okay, but. So I go, Leslie, call the cops. Yeah, you did? Yeah. Yeah. So she got on the phone and she says, hi, and we're traveling the, you know, northbound or wherever we're going. And there's this car up there in and out of the lanes. Uh, we think he might be impaired. And the cop goes, well, could you follow him? And she goes, well, no, we're actually on a, on a way down to Mexico. Uh, but here's the mile marker we're at and, and all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, how selfish that person was. Because I've been that person. And we've had Sarah Fry, who lost both her legs to a drunk driver. That's right. In here. And I don't think that guy was thinking of that. And that's the selfish part. Because I don't think he was thinking of who or what he could do behind that wheel of the car. Of course not. And I then asked myself, had this been three years ago, would I have called the cops on him? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have. Was it hard to make that decision now? Nope. No, it wasn't. It wasn't because I've looked in people's faces and seen the damage that drinking and driving can cause. Right. And in a lot of cases, <clears throat> the recovery that comes from being busted. Yeah. Yeah. And so we called the cops and I was like, and it kind of felt good. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. 
Yeah. You know, I, and and we we try to stay with him as long as we could, uh, but then I don't know whatever happened to him. I don't know if he got busted, uh, right. you, you know. Um, but it was it was kind of a surreal moment to go. Well, I'm impressed. I mean, I think that I, I don't know what the listeners think, but I think that would be kind of a uh, that's a that's a game yeah, game yeah. day decision, right? Yeah, like yeah. here we are, we see this person; they're obviously impaired. They're obviously at high risk of hurting themselves and other people. I think calling the police is the right move. Yeah. So so that kind of occupied my time for the next three hours until we got to Vegas. You, know, you didn't have to play card games. You no, were just no, talking about games. that. Yeah, yeah, we were just talking about that. And so then, you know, we drive down and we get to Vegas, and, and Vegas is fun. I'm walking Fremont Street with my daughter. Uh, and for people that don't know, Fremont Street is like the old-style Vegas, yeah. right? That's that, they got performers they, out there. Yeah. They've got all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's 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 debauchery on that <laughs> on that street. You know, what yeah, I mean? yeah. It, it's kind of like uh, Mardi Gras all the time, right? Just people partying, and and that was and that was cool to walk with my older daughter and and be able to. But of course, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol going on on Fremont Street, right? Yeah, I mean they're 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 selling drinks on every corner. Uh, there's puffs and clouds of weed because weed's legal in Vegas, and it was neat for me to be able to walk with my daughter and have her look at me and trust me that I'm doing okay mm-hmm. and that she knew she was safe. Did you guys talk about what was going yeah, on? Yeah, we talked the, about it. The like, debauchery that's going on? Yeah, we, you know, we talked about it, and it made her a little uncomfortable, and it made me a little uncomfortable because uh, my daughter was she's growing up and but i wanted her to be prepared and so we would talk about the smell of weed or we would talk about somebody that was way too drunk we saw somebody you know that was given uh, psychic readings who obviously wasn't a psychic and he was just giving it to a wall you know but we talked about that and we we're like what well, i and she goes do you think he's just messed up dad and i go i think he's got a lot of problems but i think mental yeah. health is probably one of the biggest sure. and he's not prepared for it and these guys don't know where to go and so there was a talk of that you know a lot of people are escaping their problems but there's a lot of sadness on this street of people masking right. it through alcohol and drugs isn't that interesting how uh, surface level you know, maybe from a helicopter, you'd look at down there and you'd be like, wow, that looks fun. Everybody's partying in wild costumes and looks like fun. And then you get down in it and you realize there's a real sadness. Mm-hmm. There's a real desperation uh, that's going on here. And people are trying so hard to deny that part of it. And, and they're just loading up with more drugs, more alcohol. And you're right, of course, a lot of folks with um, untreated mental illnesses and and it's it's uh, not to be punny, but it's sobering mm-hmm. uh, emotionally to realize what you're really seeing. It's not really that much fun, is it? No. You know, you said something there that I just barely picked up on, but I'm pretty sure this is what how my daughter felt. I think this is sad. I think this is the first time my daughter's felt safe with me. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was always partying. And I was always taking care of me and my needs. And she probably didn't feel safe to come to me because I probably wasn't in the best state of mind and probably wouldn't make the best decisions. So to be able to walk down there and see that debauchery, I think that's why she probably held her composure so well because she knew that I was sober and that whatever happened, I could take care of. Yeah. Yeah. And that just dawned on me because we didn't talk about that, but I could see it in her eyes. Well, I can see it in your eyes. It was an epiphany. Yeah. Cause she's like, man, my dad's here. 
And what are dads supposed to do? Take care of you. And guess what? Mm-hmm. My dads can do that. I think it's trust, right? I yeah. Mean, I think your kids have always known that you love them. Mm-hmm. But when a person is intoxicated, when we're in an altered state, then they sense that maybe I can't really rely, I can't fully trust my dad. And so that's pretty special to feel like that was... Uh, yeah. That, and my number one job is to yeah. make her feel safe. Yeah. And for those years, she didn't feel safe. I mean, she said it in her letter. You know, she was hiding alcohol from my kids. She was protecting me. Right. Right. You know, and that's not how it's supposed to be. Right. And so that, you know what, that. And and if she's feeling safe in that relationship with you in any setting, it allows her to relax into just being a kid. And and people who grow up with alcoholic parents or drug addicted parents um, often become adultified or parentified meaning that they are living emotionally beyond their stage in life. They don't get to be 13. They're acting like they're 23, taking care of the other siblings or feeling emotionally like they have to take on responsibility that is really an adult responsibility. And the problem with that is that kids grow up and there's a real sense of loss that they missed out on some aspect of their childhood. And so I think that goes back to why this trip was so necessary. Because you said it in the beginning, you didn't envy me. I not really know. But here's the thing. This trip wasn't for me. Right. This wasn't a vacation for me. Yeah. This was a chance to take four young, you know, seven young ladies, including my girlfriend, down to Mexico and let them have a good time. Sometimes in my addiction, not sometimes, every time in my addiction, the number one priority was fun for me. Yeah. You know, and making sure it was fun. And then hopefully people would have fun with me. But a lot of times it wasn't fun. This trip was for my daughter and her friend to go down here and enjoy Mexico, sit on the beach, tell stories, take stupid selfies, and, you know, just enjoy it. And that's when all of a sudden it switched in me. This vacation was not for me. It was for them to come down and enjoy their graduation like Addie did and three of her friends. You were kind of proctoring the trip, right? You were... Son of a gun, for the first time I was being a parent. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was making sure they got home safe. I was making sure that they had food and, you know, everything that needed to be done. That's what I was doing. But when my act of addiction, I was never doing that. I was always thought I was in, supposed to be bringing the fun. And I still had fun and we laughed and we giggled and stuff. But the trip wasn't for me. Right. You know, and it was for my daughter and my stepdaughter or, you know, everybody to go down there and just have a great time. And I think they did have that. Um, Oh, I'm sure they did. There was another time. I'll tell you what I do envy, though. Yeah. I do envy that you had that awesome one-on-one time with your daughter. And I I think that's a special thing. And and I I think that's something the two of you will always remember. We went shopping for a ring for her boyfriend. What? A thumb ring. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, it, uh, uh, Who's she dating? He's wearing a thumb ring? Pretty cool cat. All right. His name is Ashton. <laughs> I mean, to get away with a thumb ring, I guess you'd have to be pretty When cool. we first met him, we called him Ashhole. Yeah. <laughs> but Ashton's grown on us, and we really do All like right. him. All right. So another thing is, so Leslie, my girlfriend, she was in charge of the food. And this town we went to, they have a Sam's Club. Oh, they do? But everything's in Spanish. Yeah. And what you find at a Sam's Club in Mexico is not what you find in the Sam's Club here in the States. Well, that makes sense. But Leslie gets it in her mind. These kids need some rigatone. They need some, <laughs> they need some Italian food. <laughs> and, and me being the supportive boyfriend, I was like, 
Sounds good. <laughs> so we go in there. We're going to find the Italian food section. <laughs> So we spent 10 minutes trying to find tomato sauce and ragu in the Sam's Club so she can make her favorite sauce. You wow. Know. But we couldn't. But we found something that we thought by the picture looked like tomato paste or sauce <laughs> or something. Oh, it was a ketchup or something? Uh, well, I don't know. So we get that. <laughs> but it's got, to have, it's got to have some sausage. But they don't really have sausage. They have chorizo. Yeah, I was going to say, you get the chorizo. So I was like, well, let's try some chorizo. <laughs> You're Italian. <laughs> so we got awesome. some chorizo. And uh, she gets the noodles and the kids. And But to, to her point, after four days of Mexican food, it would, a little uh, variety. Italian sure, yeah. would have been nice. Yeah. So she spent. Or whatever this is that we guys made. Well, it ended up being garbage. <laughs> it ended up sucking. And she'll tell you the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she spent an hour putting together this sauce and doing this chorizo and doing all that other stuff. Uh, and I promise this story goes to somewhere. Um, she goes, taste this. And I go, well, it's not bad. She goes, it's not good. And then yeah. other people tried it and they say, yeah, this is really bad. Yeah. So I said, you know what? We did see some Prego or ragu at one of the convenience stores. Let's go back and see if we can do it. So we dumped that oh, sauce. like the pre-made jar. Yeah, pre-made yeah, yeah. jar. But Leslie doesn't like anything that's a pre-made jar because she's got a family recipe that's right, you know, of course. You know, all this good stuff. So we go down to this gas station, and when you go into the gas stations in Mexico, they speak a little English, but not so good. Right. And so I'm going, hey, do you have prego? Donde style prego. Prego, you know. And I'm wondering if she's thinking my girlfriend's pregnant, but I'm like, no, no, we're looking for prego. <laughs> you know, and it's so this one dude all of a sudden goes, Hey, you guys need help finding some stuff? And I was like, Yes. And he goes, well, So then he starts talking to her in Spanish and they go, Hey, where it is? And then they go, They find it over here. Uh-huh. And so they, they they show it to me and so we end up getting it. And so I talk to this guy and I'm like, So your English is pretty good. He goes, Yeah, I just got deported. And I go, You got deported? Where'd you get deported from? Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> I said, what? We're from Utah. So did I. He goes, wait. And I go, why'd you get deported? He goes, I got a DUI. I said, so did I. <laughs> and so, so, Man, the things you have in common with people at the gas yeah, station. And so he had a DUI. I had a DUI. I had my maid in Ogden hat on. He goes, you're from Ogden? I said, yeah, I'm from Ogden. He goes, my mom lives there. <laughs> And so he tells me where his mom's from, and so we're talking, and I'm like, so how come you're here? Yeah. And he goes, well, because of the DUI and didn't have the citizenship, I got deported. And I was like, well, you can't just get back in? And he goes, well, I could, but if I get busted again, that's really bad. He goes, so I've got to stay down here for five years. I said, he goes, and then he can legally get back into the States. Okay. That's how long it takes. And I said, okay. okay. Uh, so I said, so what are you doing here? And he goes, well, it's a tourist town, and I'm just trying to figure out a way to make it. And uh, so I I hang out at gas stations, and I help people find what they're looking for. Shut up. He Swear. does not. That's, that's, what, his, that's his plan? That's what his plan. <laughs> and I was like, okay. It's actually a pretty good plan. Yeah, you know, and he goes, I, yeah. I, sometimes I get day jobs out of it or whatever, but, you know, there's, uh, there's a barrier, obviously, because it's right outside of this it's community. A, it's a personal concierge service. Yeah. That he's providing for tourists. I love it. Yeah. So I so I gave him some money and I said, Hey, do you want me to buy you a soda pop? He goes, That'd be great. 
And uh, uh-huh. Leslie's like, hey, do you want me to tell your mom you're doing fine? He goes, we've got phones. I call her all the time. <laughs> like, we have phones here. <laughs> it's like, we've got phones. I still talk to my mom. Yeah. I just can't go back in this date. But I was like, what uh-huh. are the chances? You know. Well, the, the truth is, uh, Josh knows this. The chances of you making friends in a gas station in Mexico are pretty high. Yeah. Jo- Josh and I probably not, but but you, <laughs> I'm not surprised. And so it, it was kind of cool. And so I did go back to recovery. I go, how are you doing? And he goes, I stopped drinking. Okay, go, why? And he goes, because it wasn't serving me anything. It wasn't doing me any good. That's and, some good insight. Yeah. And he goes, so I'm going to be down here for five years. Who knows if I'll get back in the states or not? But. I'm doing wonderful. I mean, he it seemed to be coherent and all that stuff. And so I took him for his word and said, congratulations, man. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it was just crazy that, you know. That's that- that's really awesome. What's awesome about that is that, like, we talk a lot with our guests about the rock bottom. And I think rock bottom, my, my developing opinion is that rock bottom is more a perception mm-hmm. than an activity. Oh, yeah. Right. It's your perception of where your life's at. That's the rock bottom that can turn you around because we've seen people go lower and lower and lower. And good for this guy, man. He he gets deported and his perception was this is not working for me. Drinking is not helping my life out any at all. Yeah. And so and so it was just crazy. But the other crazy thing is, is that, you know, while in Mexico, I mean, they are celebrated for their cervezas, which is Spanish for beer. Right. They're margaritas, you know, and tequila. tequila and anywhere you go, uh, anytime there's a vendor or whatever, hey, hey my friend, cerveza, you know, and then they'll, 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 they'll talk you into their businesses by giving you free beer. And mm-hmm. I'm always mm-hmm. like, no, I'm good. Rules are a little different down there yeah, than most yeah. places up and here. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how it plays out, but, you know, I mean, I would, I, we went to a restaurant and they'd come back and they'd be like, do you want a beer? And I'm like, no. And never once did anyone go, why? No no one challenged. No. You know what I mean? But in my mind, it was like. But if you were going to have a relapse, I mean, that would be an easy place to do it because you're right. Everywhere you go, you're getting offered free drinks. And that's their way to kind of loosen you up a little and hopefully yeah. get you to buy some stuff because you're, you're feeling a little loose. And, and it's it's kind of fun to you know have. I mean, around here, nobody's uh, offering you free drinks to go into their store. So it was a kind of a fun party atmosphere. Um, so I. I I could actually imagine they might be perplexed why you're not drinking beers, but you didn't feel like that, huh? No, no. They were just like, cool. And I just go, yeah, I don't drink. And they were like, okay, still come on in, though. And I'd go in there. And mm-hmm. my favorite thing down in Mexico is whenever they're selling something, their tagline to get you in is, come here, amigo, almost free. Almost free. <laughs> almost free. Come in here. Almost free. You know? And I like then, it. And then you open up a conversation and you talk and we bought ponchos and rings uh, you know, and just blankets and, and whatever it was, but it was a great time. But that was the thing that when I talked about in the beginning is that I was so confident in my recovery that it, it, it used to be like, I don't want to go there because I don't want to, I don't know how I'm going to navigate those waters. But that wasn't my thought. I, uh, my thought was, uh, let's go there. I want to protect my kids. I want to make sure that they're good and everybody's doing all right. I mean, that it, I, I wasn't tempted in the slightest ever one bit hmm. down there and it was hot i mean it was 98 and 100 percent humidity yeah it was just i mean but it was cool i i was do it was i didn't think about that were you a little surprised i mean you're you're almost three years into your recovery so i don't mean like oh wow i can't believe i did it but 
like, were you surprised? Because what you're telling me is there wasn't any little tug on your heart, like, oh, maybe I want a drink. Did that surprise you that there wasn't even a little bit of energy that way? Yeah, a little bit. You know, because that's what got me thinking about what's next after the recovery, because there wasn't that. And I'm confident and cool with who I am now. I'm not defined by that. And mm-hmm. so I it, that's that's that that was kind of weird. I was like, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the gas station. You know, I could have picked up a beer there. I mean, I could have had a shot of tequila anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. You know, and and, and 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 it wasn't that way. But it was never even a thought. And the, the I think the thing that's hard for people when you get to places like Mexico, when you're in recovery, is it's it's expected. That's kind of what everybody's doing, right? Like like it's the party time. Like so, you've used the term "drink like a gentleman" a lot, and and that's you know that's like a person who doesn't normally drink, but they're like, oh, I'm on vacation. I'll, I'll sit sit by the pool and have a margarita, or I'll, you know, everybody's throwing free beers at me. I'll have some here and there. And so it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary. Everybody, you would have fit in just yeah. fine with yeah. everybody if you'd have been doing that. Uh, but you you said you, you didn't really feel the. I think the, the urge, reason. Huh? Well, I know the reason I'm sober is because I want to, and my life's better this way. The reason I'm sober is not because I don't have access to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then then it goes back to that. You know, there's a lot of people who get sober just because they can't get it or they think somebody else is watching. Or or somebody's why, yeah, or they're in trouble or they're trying to repair a relationship with their spouse. Yeah, you know, know, I was talking to my older brother about it and uh, he was like, I'm really proud of your sobriety because I go to family parties and people get drunk and all that stuff. And they actually call me and they're like, hey, we got to call you because there's some stuff that went down in the party. And we know that you're sober and you've got a good you ear for things. You might be able to and, be the judge. Huh? And, and, and I was like, cool. You know what I mean? He goes, but first I want to tell you, I'm really proud of you because I don't, I don't know how you're doing it. And I go, Yancey, you got to understand. I didn't get sober for you. I got sober for me. Yeah. You guys get to enjoy me because I'm sober. But I didn't do it for any of you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I would like to say that I did it for my kids, but I didn't. Because well, I, I couldn't. I did it for yeah. me. And because I did it for me, everybody gets to enjoy. Well, this is very similar to something. So one of our early guests on the show uh, is kind of a big deal. His name's Brandon Novak. And he was part of the Jackass guys on TV yeah. with Bam and those guys. And he's a professional skateboarder and all that. And I follow him on Instagram. He's yeah. kind of funny to follow. He's also an artist. And I noticed that uh, one of his recent posts there's a group of um, Steve Caballero and, uh, you know, a lot of the old skaters, uh, Christian Hosoy and all those. They're now artists as well as skaters. And they're doing this traveling art show. And it's kind of cool to watch. Anyway, he said something almost exactly just paraphrasing what he said recently was that he's staying sober because it's easy to look at how amazing his life is now. And that's coming from somebody who had a seriously high level of fame. At one point, he was running on a treadmill next to Michael Jordan, being the youngest guy ever endorsed by Gatorade. Exactly. So from a young age, he had high levels of fame, high level, lots of money, and addiction destroyed it all. He's looking at his life now, paraphrasing him. He said basically what you just said, which is my my life is in. It's not comparable now. It's so much better now. Sobriety's for me because look how great my life is, and. 
he actually isn't at the same level he ever was before and probably professionally never will be. Yeah. Right? But he looks like a healthy, happy guy who's doing good stuff. And I think that's sort of the key component to people who are able to really live in happiness in their recovery is realizing I did it for me. And then the ripple effects benefit everybody I love, of course. But my constantly being appreciative, going back to we've talked a lot about gratitude on the show before, like the gratitude that looking at your life right now and how much more you can do that's positive because of your sobriety. And, and then in that context, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't be tempted by free margaritas. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, that's why is because I know where I've been and I'm happy with my life right now. So the fact that I can walk around and not feel like I, I'm not drinking because I can't, I'm drinking because I don't want to. Right. And and that's the, the mindset that I have now. So I had a good time in Mexico. Congratulations on graduating high school, Addy. The world is out there and I can't wait to see what you do. Presley, you are amazing. You are everything to me. And I can't wait to see what a beautiful young lady you become. You are already so beautiful. And uh, all the girls that went along with me, they were fun. I mean, I we'd, we'd watched scary movies. We talked about periods. We talked about boyfriends. So you had a lot to contribute. There, yeah. Right? I mean, okay. uh, yeah. I mean, I was like, uh, they, I think they started talking about it because they knew how uncomfortable it made me. <laughs> and I would just be like, stop it, ladies. Yeah. I don't want to talk about this. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, but it was so much fun. And Leslie, my girlfriend's amazing. She's such a great nurturer and just took care of us all. And we ate like kings and queens. Uh, and it was it was a lot of fun. So well, awesome. Well, I'm really glad. I was hoping it would turn out well. And um, what a great group of people for you to spend a week with. Yeah. And mom, thanks for letting us use your place. Uh, we can't left forget it, mom. Yeah, we left it better than we got it. We hope. <laughs> and thank you guys for listening today. You've been listening to Project Recovery. Make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have a brand new guest with an exciting story. Project Recovery is brought to you by your friends at knowyourscript.org. Go check them out. And uh, I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Project Recovery is a KSL podcast. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.